Hello and welcome to episode 270 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and I've got Tony with me here today, who is back in New York. Hey T, how's it going? I'm well, and you know, I was talking with Wei Shen before this call and, you know, quality control of allowing the last podcast <laughs> and how my, <laughs> my God, I'm amazed that no one from a uh, corporate called in and be like, what are you guys doing over there with this podcast? But it was fine. Really, we are still flying under the radar there. So, you know, what's funny is when you listen to my voice on our introduction, and then I stuck with uh, uh, Steve Rubenow because I spoke with him at like 10 in the morning. So like it went from being just like two in the morning, Tony Malakian to 10 in the morning, Tony Malakian. And those are two very different Tony Malakians. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this week. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, this week, so we yeah we decided to record the podcast a little a little earlier than usual. Yes. I mean, maybe not usual, but a little earlier than last week. Let's just Indeed. put it that way. And we got um, good guests. So, we got a good guest. Yeah. Tell tell us who, we, who we have on. Um, we have John Dagenen. Uh, he's the general manager for Global Financial Services uh, for the for IBM's Global Financial Services industry. I guess. Um, pillar sector i don't know um but he's uh we, we talked about generative ai so we've been on a big kick here of late talking about large language models and generative ai but it's something that everybody wants to talk about so um you know the, the, last week we had steve and he was a little bit more i don't know contrarian he just kind of was talking about you know kind of some of the the concerns and John actually repeated those concerns like, you know, IBM is very much about, you know, as they try and separate themselves, you know, you have your your AWS your Microsoft's and your Google's and your IBM's um, all entering the space. They're very much about the transparency around the data. And so and the data quality that's being put in good data in good data out that kind of thing. So. That's the conversation, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, my interviewing has been very good. I feel like my intros definitely need some work. But we're at what? What did you say? Two hundred seventy of these podcasts, or however many. You know, I I should know how to do this by now. I don't. So I'm a writer at heart. What do you want out of me? Anyway, <laughs> ebbs and flows. Um, <laughs> I actually, we're going to be sticking with this generative AI theme for a little longer, extending into next week. Um, but I'll leave it till then for you guys to find do out. Do you want to give? Do you, are you just going to tease people? Yeah, and do you want to give? Like, can we say who it's going to be? Or I not like, yet? Nah, I like to tease. Huh? It's a repeat right. guess. So Fair he's enough. coming on for the second time, and that's all you know. That's all. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't even know who it is. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just the editor of this publication, but I don't even know who's on our podcast. Fine, whatever. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's go. All right. And now I'm joined by John Dagenen. Uh, he's general manager for the financial services uh, sector of uh, for IBM. John, thanks so much uh, for taking time out of your day and joining the podcast. Tony, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. John, you know, so you're at IBM. We were talking a little bit before the call and you were talking about, you know, how you're a technologist through and through. And not only that, 
Um, many people in our industry will know you um, from your time spent as a technologist in the capital market specifically um, in the financial services sector. But for those that maybe don't know, I want to give a quick uh, little background uh, for, for, for those people listening. So in brief terms, I had a long history in financial services. Before IBM, I worked in a large bank. I joined IBM over 20 years ago and in fact moved to New York City exactly 20 years ago to work on a project where IBM and Bloomberg were collaborating on new products for up for market data distribution. Uh, that was really exciting and it got me very exposed to the capital markets and market data community. I loved it. I was very uh, enjoyed innovating in that space. I then went into a long spell working at our group, uh, our account team and our relationship team at Citigroup as the chief technologist, became an IBM distinguished engineer and uh, more recently became the CTO and now the general manager. What's notable about that, Tony, is that technologists in IBM usually stay in the engine room, but <laughs> this technologist was asked to run a business. And so I'm very excited about that and I love doing that. And I love working with our clients across financial services globally, uh, all aspects of financial services. Right. And so, John, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and specifically about generative AI. Mm. Um, why don't maybe give us the wide angle view as to how you see the development of generative AI, large language models. These were terms that were certainly being used um, at hardcore tech companies like IBM for many years. This is not these are this isn't new, but certainly what with the rollout of ChatGPT, it kind of started to come to the forefront of people that maybe weren't as clued into the advancements in the field of AI. Why don't you give us kind of a state of the union for generative AI, kind of where we're at, how you see the market developing going forward? Well, the good news is I think for many of our customers and clients across financial services, especially in the capital markets, we're at the early stages, earliest stages of generative AI. When we zoom out, you're correct in saying, Tony, that IBM and others have been very active in AI research and AI product capabilities probably since the 1950s. And we see examples of that along the way, like uh, beating Gary Kasparov and winning Jeopardy. Those are all the foundations of machine learning and deep learning. And so, you know, our industry has a huge amount of experience already in working with machine learning and deep learning. And, and as a lot of it has been done, and most of the innovation I'd like to think has happened in financial services around uh, already, around uh, improving customer service across every type of customer, improving decision-making, improving risk posture, um, and, and all kinds of simulation for financial scenarios. But what we've learned so far is that most firms almost every firm has really struggled to scale AI. So there's huge aspiration around data science programs. We could think most institutions have probably done at least 200 or maybe more, many more experiments, but there's very little AI actually in production. And that's because the training process is arduous. It's incredibly labor intense. It's hard to trust. You know, there's we've all seen all kinds of examples where training sets are full of data that is bias ridden or just plain wrong or poor quality. Uh, and equally, uh, most AI has not been explainable to date. 
And so regulators tend to care about that. Regulators <laughs> of every stripe anywhere in the world tend to care that AI has not been very explainable. Now, of course, IBM has been active in trust and transparency and explainability and bias uh, for a very long time uh, and have you know, been instrumental along with other partners in the industry in setting the standards around what good ethics look like in AI. But that's just the start. Generative AI, that's all the backdrop. Generative AI has created massive new um, momentum because many of the inhibitors around training are uh, are lessening or going away. So the arduous training process is now far more automated. There's much less need for human curation of the model training process. And so whereas a human needed to create the, curate the data science previously, now the role of a human is more limited or, or, or more focused, I should say, on prompt engineering and making models work well. And equally, trust and transparency uh, is a huge part of uh, how IBM's approaching this, simply because of some of the shenanigans, if I can put it that way, that we've seen in consumer-grade generative AI. You know, I think, you know, when I talk with, when I hear a lot of, you know, kind of senior executives that aren't technologists, they just kind of want to use generative AI right now. You know, how, how can we use it in our business? And there are certainly a lot of considerations that you mentioned around, you know, what's called hallucinations in the data where the model will just make up things whole, whole cloth, um, data biases, explainability. So, you know, look at the financial service sector and capital markets. What do you see as being the most interesting use cases right now for generative AI? And maybe what do you see being the future that people can start preparing for now? Perfect, Tony. Um, so I want to be careful first in saying that when I speak about the application of generative AI, I'm not talking about consumer grade generative AI. I'm talking about generative AI that is explainable, is bias and hallucination free. And that's capability in, in the platform that we provide, which is enterprise focused or enterprise targeted. I think there are massive use cases across financial services and especially in the capital markets, investment banking uh, and wholesale banking. Uh, first, customer care is always uh, an important use case. Uh, people seem to think there are no virtual agents uh, beyond the consumer banking space. There are, right? There are lots of virtual agents where people mm -hmm. can ask questions about situations, status, uh, or give instructions. So generative AI can absolutely make those better. Um, and certainly uh, they can also help and augment the skills of a customer, a human customer service agent uh, facing off against clients. I believe there's massive uh, document content uh, in capital markets and investment banking. And so the opportunity there, think about analyst reports and prospectuses right off the bat, Tony. Mm -hmm. There's a massive opportunity to summarize those, extract the key content uh, and help clients understand the, maybe the terms and conditions or the nature of an investment being proposed. Equally, generating those reports, generating portfolio recommendations is a labor-intense human activity. And it's not that we want to take the human out of those, but we want to augment the human skills and uplift the nature of the customer service relationship. So proposals, portfolio recommendations. 
I think another area that's incredibly important, Tony, is the regulatory processes. And so we've done a huge amount of work in this space uh, with some large clients, especially around using natural language processing to understand regulations, to help on the basis of a regula regulation, a company form policies, map those policies and procedures to controls. Those controls could be human or operational or technical, preventative and test, enforce, investigate breakages. I think when I think about regulatory, I think the KYC processes uh, on the non-consumer part of banking are strenuous and arduous, mostly around understanding the beneficial ownership of, of which may be radically hierarchical uh, in many complex companies or companies where there are many, many investors or stakeholders, uh, especially across the board of directors. And so those processes can be nightmarishly complex. AI and generative AI can absolutely both help summarize and generate and improve the quality of the KYC processes. And I think, you know, on a very technical level, one last one that I'd give you is that clearing and settlement is a, is a notoriously, uh, of transactions is a notoriously complex process. And often it takes t days to detect that a failure is about to occur and often that failure is detected at the last minute and requires very expensive human interaction to make repairs ahead of um, a, an impending deadline for example the third day um, or in other places the second day uh, and so detecting the likelihood of a trade to fail clearance and settlement at the time of clearance is usually an incredibly desirable thing to do uh, based upon operational complexity, you know, uh, based, based upon simplifying the operational complexity. Uh, while there are lots of obvious reasons that trades fail to clear and settle, it's the non-obvious ones that we think that machine learning and generative AI can detect in the future. And so there's some fascinating work that uh, is playing out across industry participants in modeling and understanding that that's an area of great innovation. Sure, you know, maybe drill just a little bit more into that. So in the settlement space, how would generative AI can you give like um, a hypothetical example as to how yeah, generative sure. AI can help improve that process? So what what are all the reasons why clearance and settlement might fail? Um, it you know it can be about the availability of inventory or the availability of money or a mismatch in the transaction details on both sides of the transactions. Those are the usual reasons why it would fail in some form or other, right? That's the, the simplest version of that story. There are lots of all, all kinds of derivative reasons about why those situations might happen in relation to a particular client, in relation to a particular security, in relation to a particular marketplace. Those reasons are non obvious, often non-obvious. And it's using uh, a model to find the non-obvious reasons why these uh, trades might fail. That is where the interest lies, because it's all about that cost of repair and the impact to missing a, a clearing and settlement schedule. Let me ask you this then, when it comes to the data quality and data issues um, around feeding information into these models. Um, it's a lot of data that's being fed in. Um, there are 
corpus of data that everybody uses and then there's financial specific like um, Bloomberg GPT using the proprietary data. What should people be considering right now when it comes to the data that's being inputted into these models and the quality of that data? If I, if I zoom out, I think first I want to say that when I think about generative AI and I think about how IBM thinks about this, we are very much in favor of generative AI being a very open ecosystem. And so it's essential that uh, anyone can create models in this space uh, because we want to foster that nature of innovation. Uh, the models that IBM creates, and we create models across a range of domain topics, uh, and those include language, they will include industry-specific artifacts, they include programming languages. As we build those languages, we have very clear processes around how we uh, ensure our data is free of copyright information, uh, free of hate and bias. We have very specific procedures and protocols for ensuring that. That doesn't mean that others won't build models that uh, that do contain those things. They are free to do so. But uh, creators in this space will be held to a high standard, especially as their uh, models are targeted for enterprise use. And so it is, in many cases, the creator's responsibility. Uh, and oftentimes the only way they can do that is not just by the front end training processes, but the back end governance processes of being able to explain answers that are generated, being able to explain decisions that are produced by a machine learning model or a generative model. And so it's both sides on the inbound side. It's about having the right policies and procedures in place. It's about having the ability to detect issues on the outbound side or on the output side. And so uh, in terms of uh, the inbound side, standards and practices uh, and very uh, a strong awareness of the data that is being loaded into a model uh, and on the outbound side, being able to explain that. And so, for example, when we think about explainability, uh, if we look at a generated answer in our capability, what's in X, uh, we can very clearly point to the data sources from a repository that we use to generate and create an answer. Point word by word, in fact, we can show that. Uh, yeah. and, and so that gives clarity around how we created data and how we created an answer. And that um, gives reassurance, not only to a regulator, but to anyone looking that our answer includes quality information. Yeah, you, you bring up Watson X. Uh, many people as are probably familiar with Watson, you know, especially if you're a fan of Jeopardy, as you said uh, before. <laughs> um, tell us, tell the audience, earlier this year, IBM releases Watson X. Tell the yes. audience a little bit about what it is and what the thinking behind the development of this platform was. So we wanted to signify, we added an X on Watson because we wanted to signify the evolution and we wanted to signify uh, the, the evolution of AI that is open, trusted, targeted and empowering. So open in the sense that, uh, as I said, we're, we're building an open community of model builders, all of whom can com combine and provide their models to our platform. Trusted, meaning bias-free and explainable. 
targeted specifically for the enterprise and enterprise use cases. Uh, so it's not consumer grade AI. We don't want it to be. We need it to be enterprise grade AI, meaning it's uh, trusted, transparent and explainable both to your clients and to your regulators. And last, um, empowering, you know, AI has to be a force for social good. It can be used in so many other ways. It needs to uplift people. It needs to uplift companies. In thinking about that, so What's an X has three major components. What's an X dot AI, which is our studio in which we train, build and test models. We incorporate data, uh, we incorporate all kinds of data sources. We build models in our AI pipeline and very recognizable tools like Jupyter Notebooks and data um, uh, pipeline wizards uh, and prompt engineering capabilities. What's NX.data provides virtualized data access uh, and it's based upon the open source Presto engine, uh, meaning it's uh, widely used and it provides access across a whole range of industry standard data warehouses that clients are already using today. What's NX.data also provides uh, a standards based uh, data warehouse that clients can deploy as a cloud model anywhere they want to, including on their own premises. Uh, this is a crucial point, um, Tony, because many AI services require firms to bring their data to the AI. And we say, no, no, no. While you can do that, how about bringing the AI to the data wherever it sits? And much of that data uh, is very proprietary or customer confidential. And so that notion of not forcing a decision to use one particular cloud service is highly applicable to capital markets and financial services clients. Last part of what's an X is what's an X dot governance, which is that notion of being able to trust uh, trust the AI and explain the AI. This is crucial for regulators because regulators will want to understand how generated answers were created and our uh, our the, the studio capability in what's in governance can illuminate uh, down to individual words the source of that generated word and so uh, that's exactly the capability that our clients will look for uh, as they seek to understand generated answers and of course uh, do so do so in a trusted and transparent way so those are the three capabilities in what's in x dot AI, dot data and dot governance. Sure. If you could maybe <clears throat> highlight maybe something, if you're looking at maybe six months out from now, mm. how can you give us maybe a hypothetical or how you envision this product being rolled out for financial services and uh, maybe a specific use case that you can envision um, helping out, you know, an investment bank, an asset manager, somebody like that? Yes, absolutely. I, I can see uh, I can see several use cases. So uh, I should say that you may not need to wait six months to see these things happen. Um, we already have firms making announcements around how they're using our capabilities. The very first space in which uh, I expect to see broad adoption is customer care. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, that that virtual assistants do go beyond consumer banking. Uh, I expect to see huge activity in that space. Um, and also augmenting customer service representatives working in call centers and branch locations 
augmenting the information that they have access to 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 assist the, the answers they provide and to orchestrate the workflows that they do in providing customer service. Uh, the second space I would expect to see is around that whole notion of uh, employee productivity uh, and, and maximizing the value of human talent. And so using the AI to uh, support generative processes like the an analytical documents and portfolio analysis. We're absolutely expecting to see that. And another area which we didn't mention so far yet, and this is going to be applicable uh, across financial services. And remember in, in capital markets and in investment banking, there's a huge amount of COBOL today, a giant amount sure. of COBOL. Absolutely. Uh, those mainframe systems are still highly relevant and they run many of the back office processes uh, across a broad array of firms. We're helping clients uh, modernize that COBOL, making it better COBOL and refactoring it to well-formed Java. That's a huge space uh, where you can expect to see IBM make some announcements. And we're very excited about the quality of the model that we've created. Uh, some of the open source COBOL models have an accuracy today of in the region of maybe 13 to 20%. IBM's COBOL model, generative COBOL models already got a quality rating or an accuracy rating of in, in the region of 95%. So we're super excited about what that means for clients and how that helps us help our clients modernize uh, to, to uh, uh, an even more exciting future. Don't underestimate the, the impact of uh, generative AI in the regulatory space either, Tony, that's uh, that's crucial. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, both the regulatory space to handle regulatory issues and also what will be interesting is the regulators themselves as somebody that was an end user. Certainly, as you're saying, you know, if you if you don't have the explainability, the regulators aren't going to have any any bit of it. So I guess that that's something you kind of right. be walking kind of clients through and explaining to them, here's here's why the explainability is important, why you must take these extra steps. And we certainly do. We do have a community uh, across financial services that includes regulators where we discuss these topics. Uh, and it's incredibly important, you know, regulation around AI. Uh, it's it's certainly um, maturing in Europe and we'll expect to see that um, play out globally for sure. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate taking the time um, and I look forward to chatting with you a year from now and seeing uh, how this is further developed. Yeah, I hope we'll be celebrating in a year's time, Tony. Thanks a lot.